Hey, binge heads, it's Mel. I want to tell you about the Ringerverse, a new Ringer podcast feed where you can hear from me, Van Lathan, Charles Holmes, and more about all things neuroculture and fandom. Here's a small snippet of the conversation I had this week about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier premiere, which we'll be breaking down all season long. Van and Charles have you covered on Fridays for instant reactions, and I'll be back on Tuesdays with rotating guests to dive into theories, your mailbag questions, and more. And we'll be diving into other shows, other films, other fictional universes. So follow The Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ringerverse and join our Facebook group. And of course, stay tuned for more soon. David Shoemaker, the Ringer's art director, the Mass Man Show, and the Press Box co-host, designer of the Ringerverse logo. Amazing stuff. And one of the biggest comic book fans that I know. Thank you for having me. I'm coming in hot with spoilers from 1989 issues of Captain America. Let's start with Sam and how Sam feels about Cap's legacy and the shield. Because the first voice we hear in this episode is not Falcons and it's not the Winter Soldiers. It's Steve Rogers. We hear the Endgame clip. How does it feel? And then Sam, like it's someone else's. It isn't. And then we, we go right from that quiet opening is the action sequence, which features Sam jumping out of a plane. Who does jumping out of a plane make us think of, David? Steve, of course, as he did yeah. so many times. Now, of course, like to be clear, we know that Sam's Exo Falcon days predate even knowing Steve Rogers, right? Like he had been mm -hmm. jumping out of planes and flying through the sky long before Cap came into his life. But still, it does feel like a, this deliberate nod to knowing that we as viewers will think of Cap after seeing that and to establishing in so many different ways throughout the episode that connection that they have to each other. But the, the, the key moment in the episode that sets up the key moments to come is Sam's decision to hand over the shield. He's at the Smithsonian, but let, let's go through <laughs> Sam's speech about symbols and kind of take it line by line here because there's, there's a lot to parse and this is, again, essential to not only this premiere, but to, I think, what the focus of the show is going to be. The world has been forever changed. This is how he begins. A few months ago, billions of people reappeared after five months away, sending the world into turmoil. So that feels like keenly contemporary right now but also is eternal and spans history, which I think is going to be an important thing to revisit and that the show will remind us of time and time again. These problems are very present right now. Part of what makes them so horrifying and so insidious is that they are not new. Mm -hmm. Sam continues, we need new heroes, ones suited for the times we're in. That, I think, if you pulled out any line from the episode is the mission statement of the show. And as we were talking about before, maybe the mission statement of phase four, right? Who are those new heroes? And how is Marvel and the MCU going to work to find a way to put front and center the heroes who do reflect the times that we're in? Sam continues. Symbols are nothing without the women and men that give them meaning. And this thing, and of course, Steve Rogers is looming behind him as he gives this speech in the, the, the beautiful banner. And this thing, I don't know if there's ever been a greater symbol, but it's more about the man who propped it up and he's gone. A lot of interesting quotes from Anthony Mackie 
and from Malcolm Spellman, created the show, head writer for the show, about this idea, this idea of symbols, and specifically what the shield and, and the, the, the larger Captain America mantle represents. I like this quote from Anthony Mackie. This is from an interview with the New York Times' Dave Itzkoff. Quote, the idea of Captain America is I am my brother's keeper. Somewhere along the line, we've forgotten that. America is the land of opportunity, of freedom, choice, and power, and Captain America represents all of that. He represents it for everybody. So today, Sam says to the assembled, we honor Steve's legacy, but also we look to the future. So thank you, Captain America, but this belongs to you. Another Mackey quote in that New York Times interview. He said that the shield, quote, wasn't an opportunity for Sam. Quote, it was a major burden. Another Mackey quote from the Disney press brief. Sam considers the shield a representation of the country that we live in. There's a lot of trepidation as far as how does a black man represent a country that does not represent him. There is a lot packed in here. In a lot of ways, there's a lot of crossover there, right? Like everything that everything that Sam said up there on that dais sounds kind of like the way that a, that a showrunner or an actor would explain the premise of the show too, right? I mean, the, I mean, the Captain America, the, the, the man, the, the shield... He's symbolic of all these things, and, and you described it really well. But at some point, a symbol eats itself, right? And 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 Falcon as Captain America would not represent, would not do, no matter how hard he tried, would never represent the ideals that Captain America represented at the beginning or over time. He would represent a man who, he, he would represent the next generation of Captain Americas. This new Cap, John Walker, Wyatt Russell, mm-hmm. U.S. agent in the comics, uh, has definitely not mastered the posing stoic, as Sam put it, about Steve, right? He's already become no. a meme because he looks like such a goofball. Not Wyatt mm-hmm. Russell, who's, you know, just, just wonderful, but with the helmet on as this new cap, just... I saw a lot of people on Twitter comparing him to the the, the, the scrunched-up-looking face of the, the curmudgeonly old man in the Pixar classic, Up, which I was amused <laughs> by. <laughs> This cap also, very notable, has a gun, visible holster. Yeah. What's one of the other things that makes the shield a symbol? It's not just the American iconography. It's the fact that a shield is not a sword, right? It represents the desire not to wound, but to protect. And this guy is sitting there with a visible holster on his hip. Obviously deliberate. It, it is, for sure. And it's maybe neither here nor there, but the it, it's a long story. But the original story in the in the mythos that led to Cap being replaced by John Walker started with Cap using a gun. And that's when the government got involved and they were just like, you're breaking your code, right? I mean, it's like, you can't... Give us, give us some quick, some quick U.S. agent <clears throat> comics history here. This is, I am not a big Captain America guy historically, but I was as wild as this sounds, a big U.S. agent guy. Like, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, there what? was not a new issue of <laughs> X-Men out when this was going on in the Captain America storyline and the, and with US agent and D-Man, who is this like combination Wolverine daredevil ripoff, were like flexing their muscles on the cover of Captain America. I was there for it for whatever reason. Also, the you know, the black cap uniform is kind of cool. But yeah, I mean, so basically Captain America, it's it's it was a, a precursor to the Civil War storyline that came that was in the movies and came in the comic books years and years later. But in Captain America, Mark Grunwald directed this like lovely little story uh, that was the, 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 the you know, U.S. government gets involved and they're like, you just can't be this freelance dude anymore. You have to officially be a member of the government and sort of disavow the Avengers and all these other vigilantes 
or you can leave being, uh, you know, stop being Captain America anymore. And he event- he decides that he can't abide by their rules. That the 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 code of honor of Captain America is that he's not a he's not a, a company man. He's not a yes man. He's a he's a he's a he is an ideal. And so he leaves and becomes the captain for a while. He eventually resumes the role, and he's replaced by this sort of super soldier with a with a you know big talking Hollywood agent uh, who's who was going by the Super Patriot, and um, and now he takes over the role as Captain America. He's you know super strong, super he's he's, he's more of a, a, a more of a, a superheroic sort of you know he, he has more powers I guess than Captain America, but he doesn't have the doesn't have the heart. The interesting thing about the story, I guess, and, and we'll, we'll look at this looking forward, is that he starts off as a jerk, and and over time, being Captain America, the weight on his shoulder sort of transforms him into a hero. I mean, it, it makes him, it makes him, he, he, he finds himself striving to be, to live up to the ideals of Captain America. That's partially why he gives the mantle back to the original Cap. So I don't, I mean, who knows if that's the way we're going to go here, but, you know, Wyatt Russell, we're watching you, man. <laughs> Should we talk about Bucky for a couple minutes? Let's do it. Good old Buck. What an episode for Buck. Having nightmares of his time as the Winter Soldier. We see him in a really brutal sequence killing a man, an innocent bystander during a mission. We will learn over the course of the episode that that man is Yuri's son. Bucky is in his full Winter Soldier gear in that sequence. His theme is playing, that like high-pitched, menacing sound. And that timeline factor is really disturbing to think about because the Winter Soldier movie came out in 2014. And the timeline of the story around then broadly aligns with the, the, the real world moment in which it came out. And obviously at the end of that movie, Bucky goes off and goes into hiding, which means that this had to take place before the Winter Soldier movie. And it's now 2023 after the blip. And Yuri is still in this position of mourning. and saying that he does not understand and does not know. And it's just devastating. You're seeing Bucky, you know, with the old titanium arm and the long hair, the mask, it crystallizes for you how long ago that was and how long everybody on all sides of this horror show have been carrying that with them. Painful. Painful. Where does he wake up? I, I loved this little detail. He wakes up on the floor of his apartment. Clear callback to the conversation between Sam and Steve in... Captain America, the Winter Soldier, about their beds feeling too soft, Steve says, like a marshmallow, when they come back from war. And that's that's where Bucky is. That's where we find him. We also find him in therapy with Dr. Rayner. She clarifies that he is a civilian now and that these therapy sessions and the, the, the list of amends, it's a condition of your pardon, she says. I'm curious what your read was because the scene was very deliberately framed with Bucky sitting in front of this like forest vista, this wallpaper of a forest scape. What did you think about that? I mean, it was a fantastic scene, right? I mean, it, it was, it was um, a set piece that we're obviously going to keep coming back to. But in some ways, this humanized Bucky even more so than the sushi bar scenes that that came later, because this was him not trying to be a certain kind of person, but sort of being the sort of person that he's at this point evolved into, right? He's a little bit of a smart aleck. He's he's obviously with still incredibly withholding and, and will continue to be but he's still a soldier, you know, he's showing up for his appointments and everything. And uh and and you know, um, if you want to get into the uh, you know, metaphorical implications of the background. I'm sure there's a lot to be said for, you know, him, for 
the restraint that it probably takes to be a respectable person coming from the wilderness emotionally that he was brought up in. I had a lot of questions. I mean, this is a, this scene had a lot of questions too. And I guess this is, we're, we're going to have to get over some stuff that happened, you know, that happens in this episode just to move forward. It does, it, one would add, one, one is tempted to wonder why it makes more sense for the government to let this man go with some, you know, court ordered counseling as opposed to just keeping him on the payroll as a shield operative or whatever the, you know, the organization would be. It'd be it's, there seems like there'd be better ways to control him. But the one thing that shield always did, the one thing that Nick Fury always did in the comic books too, is especially when, it, as it pertains to, to Bucky is, um, eliminate moral ambiguity and sometimes there was a lot of i mean there was often tension there but like you know if somebody if, if nick fury is like we got to take these guys out then more often than not that's we don't need to ask any more questions i think having him be on his own i think it just really provides a platform for him to work out this sort of moral ambiguity on his own i mean in, for himself and, and and as it pertains to the world around him yeah that's really well said you know Got to get rid of of every remnant of Shield. That's what Steve Rogers wanted, David. I I, lo- I loved the forest backdrop because I think it's supposed to imply serenity, you know, and tranquility. But it made me think of it made me think of the Pine Barrens episode of The Sopranos and how sometimes when you're inside of the forest, it just means that you're really struggling to find your way out. I thought that was a really effective visual and. You know, even seeing how how Bucky navigated that scene where he is work, you know, he's he's working to make amends, right? He has the list, another Captain America, the Winter Soldier callback, of course, to Steve's uh, I'm catching up on all I missed notebook list. One of the names on Bucky's list is H. Zemo. Is that how Zemo's gonna come back into the story? What's all that about? I'm very much looking forward mm-hmm. to finding out. But we see in the course of the the, the Senator Atwood <laughs> recollection and and his his exchange with his doctor that he is working to process what has happened to him and to find his place in the world, but he doesn't tell her about his nightmare, right? He he lies about that. <laughs> the version that we see of what actually happened with the senator is quite different from what he says when he's recounting events. And I think that this is all, again, so fitting for his character because, you know, whether it's the nightmare or even the setting of therapy, which I think is an important thing for Marvel to do to say that these these characters have to process what has happened to them, just like any other people in the world would. But because of the role that his mind has always played in the story, you know, Obviously, when he was the Winter Soldier for 70 years as a Hydra spawn, a tool, a weapon that they deployed, it was because they had brainwashed him. You know, there's that great moment between Tony and Bucky in Civil War when he says, do you even remember them? He's talking about his parents, right? I remember all of them. Like, Bucky has been haunted by the things that he has done. And a lot of people, including Steve, try to tell him that it wasn't his fault and he wasn't in control. But that doesn't mean that he's ready to absolve himself, right? He still did those things, as we hear him say. And whether it's the other characters or us as viewers, we can say, Bucky, you you weren't in control of your mind. Like, forgive yourself. It would take a long time for him or anyone to be able to get to that point. You know, we, what, what did he what did he say to Steve in Wakanda before he went under for, for them to, to repair his mind? I can't trust my own mind. That's not something that you just move away from, nor is learning how to navigate not only life without 
Steve Rogers, his longest friend, his oldest friend, the most important relationship in his life, and the loneliness that he finds himself in, but just modern life in general, you know, as we hear him say, he's 106, and Steve Rogers is always called the man out of time, right? But we see, I think, many times in this episode that Bucky is a man out of time, too, and I think that's another nice way of continuing to connect those storylines. Thanks for listening to that sliver of our first Tuesday Ringerverse chat about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Again, be sure to follow the Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ringerverse. Join our Facebook group. And remember to stay tuned for more soon.